0: I want to welcome all of you to our gathering and those of you that are watching online, invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Our central text for today is going to be from uh, verses 8 to 20. So we're launching a new series today called Essential Church. And earlier this year when, uh, you know, when the COVID hit, uh, this word essential made headline news. And it, it gave me pause to, to sort of stop and think about what is essential in our world. What is essential? We know that uh, you know, food is essential, clothing, shelter, uh, you know, resources, money to live. We know those things are essential. We know that donuts are essential. Hello? How many of you like Amish country donuts? Yeah, most of you. Have you seen? They're, they're like this big, as big as your face. And uh, I'm trying to eat less donuts, although these donuts are the best. Last night we gave every person at Sugar Campus um, an Amish country donut. Because there's so many of you, we we can't give all of you Amish country donuts. But we have about, yeah, check that out. They're as big as my face. Uh, So we have have 13 Amish country donuts. The first ones to the Connect desk after this service. Don't go out right now. Uh, The first one, first come, first serve. So get get an Amish country donut on me. You are welcome. What is essential? what, what is essential in our world, and who gets to decide what is essential? You know we, we, what we're saying is in this series that the Church of Jesus Christ is essential, and I want to uh, we want to in this series <clears throat> we want to unpack some some reasons about how and why the Church is essential, and who gets to decide. Who gets to decide if the church is essential in our world? I mean, the government doesn't. State and local leaders don't. You know who gets to decide? I mean, this one's easy. God does. And God has already decided that the church of Jesus Christ is essential. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is essential. Say that with me. Church is essential. I'm glad that you're here. Because one of the things we've discovered this year because of We moved our services to online. We we never stopped being the church, by the way. The church is not a building, but it did disrupt our flow a bit, and one of the things that we discovered is that we we really need this. We really need this corporate gathering. Something happens when when the people of God gather together, and I want to give you, in this series, we're going to be unpacking four very specific reasons. By the way, you're welcome for those Amish country donuts. I'm still thinking about them, how good they would taste right now. Um, we're going to be unpacking four specific things that, that we, we believe is essential, why the church is essential in our world, and, um, and I, I want to give them just briefly to you, and today I want to teach on the first one, and here they are, knowing God. And I want to frame these as our mission. This is a part of our mission, the way we articulate our mission as Grace Church. The first reason that the church is essential to my life, to our lives, and to this world is to help people know God. And this is what we do in our weekend gatherings. We have a system and strategy for each one of these. Knowing God is our weekend experience, our weekend worship gatherings, our corporate uh, you know, getting together to worship, to, to, to hear teaching, to learn together connecting community and then the second one is find freedom this is our small group strategy we want everybody to be in a small group to to be connecting and to be discipled and mentored and prayed for and supported and then discover purpose this is our growth track we can be baptized and become a grace partner and other classes to help you grow as a follower of jesus and then to make a difference this is our dream team and this is where you know we want all of us to to serve with our gifts and talents you know, to, to serve in the body of Christ, to make a difference in our world. And so what I want to do today is I want to unpack this first one, knowing God. And then the next number of Sundays, we're going to be looking at, at each one of these, knowing God. So Acts chapter 19, I want to read this, this text for us. I want to read verses 8 to 20. Let's read these together. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, say Sceva, Sceva, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day an evil spirit, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number of who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, I want to this, I mean, this is an incredible story that I think has significance for us as we think about knowing God. So what, what was happening? Paul was in, in the city of Ephesus uh, in the synagogue teaching. Paul was an apologist. He was defending the claims of Christ, teaching, preaching, doing ministry, you know, casting out demons, praying for people, spiritual breakthroughs. The text says that, that, that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. He's, he's in the synagogue, and he, he gets some resistance, so he moves from the synagogue to a, to a public lecture hall, and he's continuing to do ministry. And he's, It says that he's doing this for uh, two years, and, and he's, he's, he's ministering in the name of Jesus. People are getting healed. There are spiritual breakthroughs, and as the story goes, there's a group of Jews that see what Paul is doing, and they're like, well, if he can do that, so can we. And so, the, so they, they start trying to emulate and mirror and imitate what Paul is doing. And specifically, there are seven sons of Sceva. Sceva was a, a Jewish chief priest, a religious leader that had these seven sons. And these seven sons, it says that they were, they were out trying to do what Paul was doing. They were trying to cast out demons. They, they would you know, say, in, in the name of Jesus, the one whom Paul preaches... You know, they attempt to cast out these demons, and mirroring what Paul was doing, and there is this, there's this tipping point in the text where where they're trying to cast out this demon, this man that is demon possessed, and this this demon says, speaks to them audibly, and this is what he says to to the seven sons of Skeva. This demon says, "Jesus, I know." Uh, Paul, I've heard about, but who are you? Now think about this. You're, you're there trying to, to emulate and mirror what Paul was doing. This demon, you know, speaks and he says, Jesus I know, Paul I have heard about, but but who are you? And it's amazing what happened. That they they it says that this this demon, right after he said this, he he beat them up. Like he literally beat the living snot out of these seven sons of Skiva. I mean, he he it was an old-fashioned beatdown. And it says that he beat them so badly till they were bleeding and naked and they ran out of the house. It's incredible. Now, what what can we, what what are some things that we can glean about knowing God based from this text? There's, there's actually three things I want to I sort of unpack for us. One is, the first one is this, that knowing God is different than knowing about God. Knowing God is different than knowing about God. We, we know that we can know facts and figures and things about someone without knowing them personally. Let, let me give you an example. So I, I follow a guy on Twitter. His name is Phil Heath. He is a bodybuilder. Uh, he's a seven-time Mr. Olympia. And I actually, I actually met him one time in Cleveland last year when he was doing an event. And um, um, I was excited to hear that he's coming back to try to get number eight. I mean, this guy has biceps that are like 25 inches. His, I mean, he is ripped, shredded, built just like not me. <laughs> and um, so I, I, I follow him on Twitter online his story is amazing and his training and his you know everything that has helped him get to this place in his life but, but i know about him but but i don't i don't know him personally i mean I, I mean he and he certainly does not know me we don't have like a a personal relationship I, I know some things about him and i i think that sometimes we it's easy for us to settle for religion rather than a relationship it's easy for us to think, okay, I know about God, and I don't want to minimize knowing about God. I mean, biblical illiteracy is on the rise. And I think it is so essential that we continue to study the Scriptures so that we know who God is, so we're not recreating God in our own image, but we know God the way that He wants to be known. I don't want to minimize knowing about God. A.W. Tozer wrote a book, one of the greatest, most recent books, in modern history on the attributes of God, knowledge of the holy, I encourage you to pick up this book, where he talks about you know, the characteristics, the, the character and nature and attributes of, of God. Who is God? I don't want to minimize that. We must know about God, but anything that we know about God must always lead to intimacy with God. Not just knowing about God, but like being in, in a vertical relationship with God daily, and these seven sons of Sceva, I mean, they were religious. They certainly knew about God, but they were not connected to God. That they knew about Him, but they did not know Him personally. The demons, this demon, even knew about God. you can knowing God is different than knowing about God. Anything that we know about God, you know His character, His nature, you know, is His attributes are must lead to an intimate walk with God. Th- this is so challenging because we can, over time, we can easily sort of fall into the trap where, where we, we, just, we just know about God, but we're not cultivating a daily intimate relationship with God. Jesus said this in John's Gospel. He said um, to the religious leaders of his day, he said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Uh, we, we could have information, I mean the information age. We can have information about God, but never experience intimacy with God. I like this prayer from Exodus that Moses prayed. He said, now, now therefore I pray that I found grace in your sight. Show me your way that I may know you. I may know you. I want to know you. I want to give you just really quickly a, a, a few ways that you can, that we can um, cultivate intimacy with God. Number one is worship. A worship. So you know, worship is simply where we, we turn our gaze toward heaven and we worship God for who he is. We adore him. We love him. We we sing to him. Um, I think worship is that it's it's a lifestyle. It's not just something we do in a gathering, but it's my entire life is an act of worship where we pause in, in the middle of the day and we just, we, we worship God. You know, we, we, we learn to, you know, what does it mean to abide with God, to be with God? Oh, I think this is so critical, is that, that we worship God for his holiness and his, we adore him for his majesty and we revere him and we lift him up. There's, there's none like God. And then another way is to pray. A, a, a prayer life, having a daily prayer life where, where, where we are talking to god and we're also listening to god and it's a part of being with god where we're not trying to get something or move somewhere or move things forward but we're just we're just sitting and and praying and say god i just just want to be close to you i want i want to know you fasting i think fasting is one of the 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 most underutilized weapons that we have in our spiritual tool chests as followers of christ you know, fasting is where we, we say, okay, I'm, I'm going to fast from something, food or devices or whatever it is. I'm, I'm going I'm to feast on God. I'm want going to starve the flesh to, to, to have more of God. Uh, the irony is we were talking about Amish country donuts, and now I'm talking about fasting. So we're going to start fasting after we eat the Amish country donuts. Fasting is one. Scripture, the Bible, just reading Scripture, you know, taking and letting, being shaped by the word, the word of God to penetrate our hearts. Reading scripture is so important. Are you reading the Bible verse of the day? Just one verse a day, chapter a day. Sometimes I like to, when I'm driving, is just listen to an entire book of the Bible. This week, you're driving to wherever. Get youversion.com, go to Romans and listen to the entire book of Romans in one setting. It's amazing how rich and deep the word of God is, but we have to interact with it. To let it get into our heart so it can shape us. And this is another way that we can cultivate intimacy with God. And then lastly is prioritize. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. So daily, I'm prioritizing. There's nothing, there's no one that is more important than Jesus Christ in my life. Not my wife, not our kids, not this ministry. Nothing is more important. So daily, I'm, we prioritize. God, you are the most important being in the universe. You're the most important person in my life. It is the gospel above all, the kingdom first, and living that way. Those are some very practical things that we can do to cultivate an intimate walk with God. So this is, the, this is our first point. Knowing God is different than just knowing about God. We want to know him personally and intimately and have a relationship with him, just like you might have a relationship with your spouse or a friend or, or someone you, where you know, you know God personally. Number two. The second thing that we can glean from this story is that you can be religious and not know God. This this is this may be the most important thing that I say to you today. You can be we can be religious, we can we can have certain forms of godliness and still be separated from the gospel, from Jesus Christ. You can be religious and not know God. What's interesting in this in this story is that the, the seven sons of Sceva, this demon, recognized the difference between a phony religious leaders and true spiritual authority. Let me say that again. This demon, the, 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 the seven sons of Sceva didn't know the difference, but the demon knew the difference between, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, just phoniness, counterfeit, pretending, imposing, and true spiritual authority. See, Paul was was had spiritual power, Walk, years of walking with Christ, and 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 had this. He, he knew God personally and intimately. So when when he was doing ministry, he was connected to the vine. He had the spiritual power because he was under Christ's authority. See, the 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 seven sons of Sceva, they they thought that. They could duplicate, they could imitate Paul's words and duplicate his power, but that's not true. The the demon called them out because they they were posing, they were pretending, they were were practicing a counterfeit gospel. that They did not have the spiritual power. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I've heard about, but who are you? The question for us is, does the demon know you? does the demon world you know do they know your name because you are connected to the gospel because you have spiritual power this is so challenging because i don't think we wake up every day and we're like hey i'm going to i'm going to be a poser today i want to be a pretender but over time <clears throat> i think this can happen where We we slowly begin to sort of just start going through the motions and we become disconnected from the vine. We become become disconnected from the power source, God, the gospel, and we just start doing good things. This this I think is is so challenging. Because because religious activity, I mean, let's let's go a little deeper. What, What is religious activity? If we were to contextualize it for us today, religious activity could be going to church, could be serving. It could be, you know, um, giving. It could be praying. It could be sharing Christ or going on mission trips. You can do all of that stuff and not know God. Because religious activity is is different than knowing knowing God. We we cannot, I I think the seven sons of Sceva saw what Paul was doing. They were like, man, this is our, if he can do that, we can do that too. This is our opportunity to capitalize and to build our platform. They thought that if they could just mirror Paul's method, if they could get the, the name of Jesus right and the intonation and the right posture and all of these things, they thought the power was in the method. And it wasn't. Power's in the, in the gospel. And this demon just radically calls them out for this. I think, that, I think this is very, very challenging. Us. I mean, we live in a religious community. I think we have to we have to check our hearts. We have to ask the question: Am I am I posing? A- am I pretending? Because I can I can fake it and probably uh, you know uh, get you to believe that I'm not faking it. But you know, God, we 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 God knows everything, and the demon here seemed to know that they they were posers and pretenders. Think like We have to ask ourselves the question, am I faking it? Am I pretending? Am I posing? Or am I, am I really, really, really wanting to know God? Like to really know God, to really follow Jesus. Um, there's some verses in um, 2 Timothy that, that I, I think speaks to this very issue. Look at what Paul says here. Just says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I don't know. Are we in the last days? I mean, maybe. It just says that there will be terrible times. We, we know there are terrible times in these days. And look, look at what he says. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's the part I want you to catch. It says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, that there will be in the last days when there are terrible times, there will be people that are posing. There will be people that pretend to have it together, pretend to know God but are living in sin. That's what he's saying. They'll have a form of godliness but this godliness is simply a form that is, does not have any power. This is one of the things I have been praying for this year. It's like, God, what are we missing? I just have this, this growing awareness that we may be missing some things. I think one of them is that we our Christianity has become so sterile and anemic because we are not connected to the source, to the vine. We don't have power. We don't have the power. A form of godliness, but denying its power. This is one of the ways that we know we are in the last days. is when people say, you know, I know God, and they say the right thing, but they're living any way they want to. So critical. Another set of verses in the Gospels. Jesus said this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. These are some of the most sobering verses in the Bible. I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. He's talking about religious activity, people that are religious, people that have a form of godliness, professing Christians, but that are not really like in right relationship with the holy God. I, mean, I want to help you not be in this line. This cannot be said about you. This, this I think, is so challenging for us that, that we do not get to the last day and that we, we, we don't hear the Savior say these words, I never knew you. I mean, mean, there's ministry that's happening in these verses, prophecy and driving out demons, performing many miracles, and Jesus says, I never knew you. Do you know God? Do you know God? Do do you have a a real, authentic, vertical relationship with Jesus Christ? That's, that's, That's what knowing God is, to ensure that we're not relying on our religious activity. Now, going to church and serving and praying and giving those are good things but they are produced by the gospel they are subsequent to our relationship with the lord with jesus christ so check your heart you know be honest am i posing am i playing games or do i do i really do i really want to know god do I really love Jesus above all? You know, is that really what I want? Or am I just, you know, just sort of you know, one foot in the world and one, one foot in the church, you know, so that I can go to heaven when I die? Enough, enough insurance there where, where I, I want to go to heaven, but I, I want to sort of enjoy the pleasure of this world. Listen, Jesus in, in Revelation says, listen, that's lukewarm, I, you know, Lukewarm. He doesn't want lukewarm people. He wants people that are on fire, that are hot, that, are, that want Christ more than anything. See their need for Jesus. So, so we check our hearts. Then there's a third. There's a third sort of thing that we can glean from this text. And it is knowing God. Like really, this is one of the ways that you can know that you you're genuine, have a genuine desire to know God and be in right relationship. Knowing God will always lead to genuine repentance. Knowing God will always lead to genuine repentance. I want to read the last part of the text that I read earlier, and I want you to, to pay attention to what happened. After these, well, let's, let's read the text. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, when what became known? When, when, when it got out, that these seven sons of Sceva, you know, got an old-fashioned whooping. They were called out by this demon. When when this became known, the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, it says they were all seized with fear. There's there's nothing like a crisis of faith. That's sort of what this year has been, 2020. COVID and all of the stuff that's happening, it's like there's some serious sifting that's happening. It's a crisis of faith. I think that God is allowing this disruption to say, who's in and who's out? You know, who's serious and who's just playing games? It says, they were all seized with fear, like the fear of God, that God is almighty, God has all power. He says, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Now catch this, verse 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Did you, you catch that? This is public repentance, C- corporate repentance. They, came o- they confessed their sins openly. Certainly we confess our sins privately, but it'd be like today if, if all of us would just get up and out loud starting to confess our sins, to, to, to confess the things that, that we've done. This is what they did. Verse 19, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the number of scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Um, I heard different reports, different scholars think the value of this is different. One is like it's in the millions. More likely, it's probably more like maybe 10,000 US dollars. Anyways, this, the point is there was these, these things, these scrolls that they brought had value. It says that in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So what happened? After this, this incident with, where the demon you know, called out these posers and beat the tar out of them. It's like there was this gospel awakening. There was this, this revival that happened because of this, this, this story, because of what happened in this, this crazy encounter. Uh, and the, the point here is that, that knowing God always leads to genuine repentance. You want to know one of the ways that you can test your, your authenticity of, of knowing God is how you respond to your sin. And if, if there is genuine re- sorrow for the things that we've done, genuine repentance, you know what the idea of repentance is. Repentance is when you're walking this way and you repent of your sin, it means you turn the opposite way. You go the opposite direction. You change. You change course. And I think sorrow for our sin is one of the ways that we, we, we can test and know that we're not playing games. I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm deeply repentant. For the areas of my life that I'm failing. And we, we see here in, this, in the text, the, 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 the response was great. They were seized with fear. And it says that they held the name of Jesus in high honor. And then they, they confessed their sins openly and they brought their scrolls and their sorcery, their witchcraft. They brought that and put it on a fire and burned it. It's amazing. You know what they were doing? They're doing, they were doing what What I want to challenge us to do right now, is to come clean. They, they, they came clean. They, they, they got rid of evil stuff. That They were convicted. They confessed their sins, but then they took it even farther and said, we're going to get rid of this evil stuff that is hindering our progress. Maybe this is one of the reasons we don't have more spiritual power, is because we're not taking our sins seriously enough. Maybe we need to have some bonfires. I, I don't know. You know. Maybe we need to burn some stuff just to come clean with God, to openly confess our sins to others that are, you can trust, but you can share with. We are so afraid of being known because, I mean, let's be honest. Our community is pretty judgmental, condemning, judgmental. It taught, people talk. People talk. Find some trusted people, though. You know what God says when we confess our sins openly? When we confess and we don't hide things from Him? You know what He says? Welcome home. Here is my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. It's amazing. We see this in the story of the prodigal. When the prodigal son came home, the father was there. He didn't read him the riot act, but he said, Welcome home, my son. You know, heaven rejoices when a prodigal comes home. It's amazing. The grace of God is, is so amazing. What area of my life do I need to confess and come clean with God? You know, what what area do I need to clean out? Maybe it's, you know, there's something in your home physically that's evil that you need to just go home and burn it, get rid of it. Maybe it's something on your phone or something in your car or something at work. I I, I don't know. Just, Just let the Spirit right now in this moment bring to your mind what you need to come clean with and clean out. Do some spring cleaning. You know, have a bonfire. Do it as a small group. Do it as a family. This, this, if we want to know God, then we must remove the growth inhibitors. What is it that has gotten in the way of me and God? What are the idols in my life? You know, what, what have I placed above God that, that is, is misaligned, that has taken the place of God in my life? These can be good things. They may be evil things. They can even be good things. And so, so if, if we want gospel awakening, if we want revival, if we want <clears throat> what they were experiencing, then, then we have to confess. We confess our sins openly. We have to repent and, and realign ourselves <clears throat> to God and, and, and the gospel. So all I'm asking you to do is to check your heart. Just check your heart. Say, God, where, where am I withholding? Where have I gotten sideways? Where am I, where am I posing? Where, where am I pretending? Where I can just, well, I just want to come clean. Because next week we're going to talk about finding freedom. This is how you find freedom. The Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. We want, we want to be free. We want to be free from any of the uh, uh, things that entangle us. This world, so we can have the life that God intends us to have, so we can reach our full redemptive potential. And that's what that's what we're we're praying for. So here's where, where we want to land. We want to take communion together. Um, we want to pray. We want to pray what Paul prayed in, in Philippians. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Like, I, I want to know Christ. And then the two parts of this, the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's, that's what we want. We, we want to know Christ. That means that we confess our sins and we repent and we, we, we throw ourselves at, at the mercies of God on the cross that all of us are broken. We, we, we come to every gathering with this premise that all of us, Need the gospel. But, but also the promise that Christ is sufficient. All of us are needy. We, we admit that. That's the premise by which we gather. That we're broken and we need help. But praise God for the promise that Christ was given and that Christ is enough. So when we say, I want to know Christ, we're saying, I want his power. And I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to count the costs so that I can have the life that God intends for me to have. So would you, would you bow your heads with me? As a matter of fact, if, if you're okay with this, would you just kneel with me? Just kneel in your chair facing forward, if you're able to. Just as our expression of wanting to know Christ, I want to lead us just in a prayer. Just like the... the the seven sons of Sceva, they were were not under authority. They thought the power was in the method, in the forms. And God, we we pause today in this gathering to, to get on our knees, to place ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. And our prayer is that we want to know Christ. We want to know Jesus. We don't just want to know about you, God, but we want to know you intimately. We want to know you intimately. And we want to, we want to confess our sins. We want to confess our sins openly where we're not hiding or posing or pretending. Just take, a, take some seconds right now. Just where you are. You say it out loud. Or just pray it to God. Confess Confess your sins. Confess where you've blown it. The sins of commission, the sins of omission. The sins of commission are the things that we do that are wrong, and the sins of omission are the things that we don't do that are right. Spend some seconds just confessing, coming clean, all the way, going all the way. Say, give God everything. Tell him everything. Just incorporate confession. Repenting. saying, This is where I've missed it. Holy Spirit, would you just reveal, show us, help us to open our hearts, break through the walls? One of the things that God said in, to the, his people in the Old Testament was, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. He doesn't say if, if the politicians change or all these other things, but he says it's the people of God, it's the followers of Jesus, it's the people, God's people, if, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if we want gospel awakening, we want gospel transformation, we want to see our country and world changed for Jesus' sake, it begins with us right now in this room saying, God, forgive us, forgive me. Forgive us, God, for thinking that their power is in the form, that the power is in a method. We're, so often we're like the seven sons of Sceva, religious activity, going through the motions, but we're really doing nothing more than posing and pretending and faking it. Deliver us from this, God. We long to see a a day where we are spiritually alive and we have all of the power that's available to us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, that we would live and walk and lead and love out of this power. God, would you fill us? Help us to come clean. Give us the courage to to lay it all out, to be open, to be authentic, to stop hiding so that we can be filled with more power, so that the Word of God can grow. Expand, our gospel influence can be stronger. Our witness to a a watching and broken world. Jesus, help us to know you. We know so much about so many things, but God, that we would know you. We would know you personally and intimately. The way that you want to be known, we thank you that you've not hidden yourself from us, but you've come to us the person of Jesus, and you've given us revelation, the Bible, Scripture. God, that you would help us if, if we don't see you the way that you are. Help us to adjust our, our, our views so that, so that we can see you accurately. Forgive us where we have made you into our own image. God, that you would reestablish yourself in our lives. We want to know you. We pray with Paul, I, I want to know you wants to be in right relationship with you. He's so grateful for the power of the gospel. So we throw ourselves at the cross, the death of Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for communion. It's the cross of Christ. It's where Jesus bled and died on the cross. It's been done. We don't have to self-punish because one was already punished. The once and for all sacrifice, the sins of humanity. Jesus Christ, all we can do is receive it. It's free. It's a free gift of eternal life. We receive this grace, the grace of God in our lives. But Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He, He was resurrected on the third day, and he's alive today. He wants to give us life. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you strength. He wants to fill us with power so that we can do his bidding in this broken world. So, Father, as we, as we come to the communion table, search our hearts and help us to, to come clean, to examine every part of our lives. As we take the, the bread and the cup, we do so as an act of remembrance, as a way of being obedient, doing what Jesus asked us to do, but, but also, God, is a way of just saying we... We want to come under your authority. We're not on our own. We we are under Christ's authority, his his lordship. He's the ultimate. He's our treasure. We treasure him above all. So we take, we worship, we receive, we thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Say that with me. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. We admit that we need saving. We need redemption. We need a king. His name is Jesus.